And we are back. What has been days for you has only been moments for us. That's right. This is Mike from Mile High Shooting and Adam Rehor from Mile High Shooting, and you're listening to The Everyday Sniper. We left off on our last podcast in uh, kind of setting the foundation and reasons for reloading, and I want to share this conversation with you from one of our good friends, uh, and it just kind of drives home the whole how many yeah. bullets should you buy at one time? That's right. Yeah. So. This is a text I got. This is Basically, a text. And I'm going to read it to you. I have while, <laughs> while we were recording, I text this to this guy. Yeah, and then my pen exploded on me. I've been trying to get it off. So, let's see. Do you have any 105s? Adam's response. Lapua 105s. BC is 506. We're just, we're going to call him Anonymous. 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 I was just hoping you had a stockpile. Ha ha. I just don't want to change bullets right now, but I gotta. I have 250 rounds loaded and 350 bullets left. That will only get me to the end of April. I knew I should have bought 2K instead of 1K. I'm never putting a new barrel on again and not buying enough bullets for the entire barrel life. Adam's response. I think my correct response here is, I told you so. Anonymous, I think my correct response here is, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> A big hand, hand hug goes out to my man. You know who you are. So we left off with uh, a few questions on, uh, on reloading, and we got through all the Facebook questions. For the most part, there were a couple that we needed to highlight. And in this episode, we're hoping to answer a lot of those questions. And Adam was saying, as you're looking at these reloading books, the first 100 pages, if you want to learn how to reload, the first 100 pages is going to give you an explanation on how to reload and what you need to do to reload. And then it's going to go into the actual reloading process. Um, again, here's our fifth generation copy of a copy uh, telephone game that we're going to play with you now. So Adam is going to give us the information that he has on what his process is and from start to finish of, of load development and processing mm -hmm. and reloading and trying to find the best accuracy but also not just the best accuracy on a 100 yard indoor range, the best accuracy on a 100 yard outdoor range with wind. Correct. And anonymous I do have a stockpile at my house. <laughs> He's so mad right now. Don't be mad, dude. All right. So uh, we're, I'm going to go through uh, a process here that I, I kind of put together. And it has um, something that basically if you have fired a case, so you bought factory ammo and you've shot it. And now it is time for you to, I'm going to start reloading. Okay, um, this is what I would. This is where I would start, and this is kind of how I would do it. And these are some of the tools that I would use. If you got some notos, put yeah, this, this put this on pause and pop that shit. Wait for about fifteen minutes. I'm I'm sorry, guys, because there's there's no way around. This like, is actually interesting make, to a lot of people, but making it exciting, like I. 
it's not exciting. And, and again, like I said, if you guys think this is relaxing, uh, I wish I had some of that because some of this is just like another step that I have to go through. And it's, you know, I'm on edge the entire time because I'm doing it in large batches and, and things like that. But um, first step, okay, is we need to clean that brass because most likely it came out of uh, out of your gun, landed in the dirt, and it got stomped on and pushed around because you were shooting off of a barricade where 900 other people had just been, and it was buried, right? Yeah, you dumped it out, threw it in your in your your brass bag, and and took it home. Okay, we still need to clean it. Okay, <clears throat> the other thing that comes with that is depriming it. So, do you want to run this dirty piece of brass in your resized die? I do not. I I kind of hold the uh, you know, high regard to my resize die and shoving dirt in it to just knock the primer out and resize it isn't up my alley, okay? So what I, I like to do is I will actually decap or I will knock the primers out, okay? I just use the cheap Frank for, uh, Franklin Armor, uh, what is it, Franklin Armory um, decapping tool. Um, and that allows me to take that dirty case um, stick it in the shell holder, squeeze the handle, and there's a decapping pin in there, knocks the, the primer out, I take the case out, and then I can throw it in a bin at that point. Okay, What this allows me to do is once I have all my brass uh, decapped or, or deprimed, is now I can tumble it. So I use a stainless steel media for tumbling. Um, and there's multiple, you can get on the stainless steel tumbling media's website and they'll give you a formula for uh, how to make your brass shiny and use their, their media, okay? I've noticed that your brass isn't that shiny. My, I, don't, I don't care that my brass is dull in color. What I care about is that the carbon is cleaned out and um, the primer pockets are clean. That is, that's my primary objective on this. And guys are buffing that stuff. Are they using walnuts and whatnot? Yeah, so you can use a, a walnut or a corn uh, corn shell or what is it, uh, tumbling media, okay? And, and that, that really does shine it up. And sometimes I do wish that my brass was shinier, you know, but it's just another process. You For know, do you practical have use. Practical. Is it going to make a difference? Um. I haven't seen it make that big of a difference between shiny brass and dull brass. It's still polished. It's still um, to the point of where it can go in and out of the chamber easy. It's not like it grabs a hold of the chamber and it can't come out. Right. You know, it's just it's just not shiny in color. Okay. But what this allows me to do is I can decap, I can tumble, get the dirt off, and clean my primer pockets and the inside of the case and try to get as much carbon out of there as possible. Okay, So I try to basically funnel all of these processes down as small as I can with as basically minimal effort. Okay, um, There are some things that need maximum effort. <laughs> right. I, that's, that's this not, isn't one that's of them? That's not one of them. Okay. Okay. You so, want to focus your maximum effort on things that matter. Right. So decap, clean, tumble, Get all that stuff rolling, okay? Um, tools for this, okay? Uh, like I said, the Franklin Armory uh, decapping pin, I like it. I used a, a Forrester uh, decapping die, 
which is basically a big open die that allows the case to go up in and it just punches the primer out. I use that for uh, a year as well. Um, if you only have a press and you don't have this Franklin Armory, or there's, I'm sure there's other people out there that make nice ones too, um, then you, you, you know that's a good alternative. Okay. Make sure you have the right decapper. Yeah, and here's the thing: is I'm kind of stuck right now. Um, I got to throw my decapping pin for that Franklin Armory in the um, uh, lathe and turn the decapping pin down because I just switched the small rifle no primers. Way. So I'm sitting here and I'm like. I went to go and decap the other night. I was like, hey, I got an hour. I can probably get all 500 of these decapped and get them ready to tumble and get my media and everything sorted out Soak. and ready. And I stick it in there, and I'm like, gunk. I'm like, huh, it's stuck, and now I'm screwed. And I, what do I Okay. So even me, I've been doing this for years like that. Just, just wasn't thinking, trying to rush through stuff. And bam, first step, the very first step, <laughs> messed up. Right? I'm like, okay. So then I spent, I don't know, another 30 minutes because I didn't have anything else to do trying to figure out how to make my own out of other die kits and decapping pins that I had laying around. It didn't work. No. No. I didn't have, I don't have a mill and a lathe set up at my house. If I did, yeah. I would have had one. <laughs> right? So. Uh, <laughs> that's going to lead that, that's that what's might, lead that you might change because that. then. It drives me crazy being an hour from the shop and not being able to work on anything of my own. Um, I have all this knowledge and I can't use it. Um, and then I got to bring it to the shop and do this to that. Okay. Um, then you guys stay after work with me. Yeah. Which is you don't like watching me run the lathe very much. I it's don't. Pretty, it's kind of like boring. watching paint dry. Yeah, it's boring. Okay. I could play. I could be playing Far Cry Five. Right. Um. Okay. So. <clears throat> Other tools for this is is a, t a good tumbler. Okay, there's a Thumbler's tumbler. They're they're a rock tumbler, and there's a there's other brands out there for tumbling and polishing rocks. And I'll see, boring, right? But no, it's you because it's late. I was <laughs> yawning because it's late, and I don't have coffee. I'm drinking water. There's a coffee pot. Right I know, there. but it's all gross. Right. So, um. Some thumblers, tumbler, they make they make a bunch of different sizes for whatever you're doing. Like I said, I like to have 500 pieces of brass ready to go. Um, RCBS Sidewinder, they make a pretty nice one. I think it's kind of small though. Um, let's see, there's there's uh, um, several homemade ones out there on eBay. Um, that's actually what I have. They just took a huge piece of PVC pipe. And put a put a net rubber end cap on it, and it allows me to do what I want. And it, it wasn't very expensive. Again, it's it's kind of one of those things. Like I look at it as a uh, a machine in our in our gunsmithing shop. If it holds still and all it has to do is hold a tool, then generally you can go a little bit cheaper. But if you're measuring and it has to move and and do a lot of different things. It better be expensive because that it's going to be machined and ground and done proper, right? Kind of the same thing with uh, with some reloading gear, um, like this. It's just tumbling brass. Right. It's just rotating around and around and around. Okay. You don't have to spend nine hundred dollars on a tumbler. Okay. You can also get the the vibratory style. Uh, Dylan makes. <clears throat> um, Dylan makes a really big one. Lyman makes it. That kind of falls into the same thing. It's just sitting there and vibrating, you know. 
You don't need the biggest, baddest vibrator in the world, right? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> now you was, have my attention. Uh, I was waiting for that one. I, when I wrote this note last night, I was like, I'm going to get Mike with this one. Okay. Just flashbacks of the Christmas party. <laughs> uh, the other one, RCBS, Hornady, uh, they, all, they all have that type. Um, no, you know, and then, then you get into walnut media, corn cob media. Um, the thing with that stuff, I, why I like stainless steel a little bit more is there's generally a little bit less cleanup. I have to, um, get all the pins out of the cases, of course, um, which I have basically like a rotary, um, sieve. So you just ro put all your brass in there, rotate it, and it knocks all the pins out and then, uh, actually what I done is I bought a dehumidifier from Cabela's. They went on special it's a 12 rack dehumidifier. I put my brass on the, on the shelf, throw it in there, turn it on and let it evaporate all the water out of the brass from tumbling. That's okay. Cool. So that, that works out really well. Um, I think you, you watch and wait for go get on Amazon. You can probably find one pretty cheap. Yeah, and lightning sale yeah, or whatever. The wife didn't really like me using the, the oven upstairs because <laughs> <laughs> what's, cooking? what's cooking? That smells horrible. That's my brass. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> she had enough of that, and I was kind of tired of going back upstairs and doing all You guys, that. don't worry about writing this stuff down. Like I said, a lot of these notes <laughs> that Adam has made. I know I'm going to get email after email. Hey, well, uh, can you give me a list of everything that you just named off? We're going to try to type this out and give you mm. a guideline. Not necessarily a Bible, a guideline. Guideline, yes. I mean, obviously there's a few things that you guys have to do. And I, I was actually going to go through those before I started. Um, you know, stay safe, be smart with the stuff. This is a guideline. This is things that I do. Um, be smart about what you do what you're doing and, and practicing. Okay? Yeah, if there's questions about this stuff, you know how to get a hold of us. It's Mike at milehighshooting.com, and then you have like nine emails here. What's the best uh, one to get a hold of you? Adam at milehighshooting.com. Generally, that's that's the one I answer. Uh, or you can give time, us a so. call at 303-255-9999. That's the best way to get in touch with me is, it is. call. Um, Adam rarely, is, rarely turns down a phone call, and when he does – he is extremely busy with, like, five other phone calls. Yeah. I don't know how many times a day I'm needed in three places at one time. Well, I've seen two phones in your ear and your cell phone going at the same time. So, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. Um, downside to walnut corn cob stuff, you, you, that gets bound up in the case as well. So you have to hit it on something. Uh, like me, I have a piece of Delrin sitting on my workbench that I can hit the case on. You can knock stuff out of there. Um, that, <clears throat> that, that works pretty well. And then sometimes you have to get a pick or a punch or something and knock it out of that flash hole. There's been some tests done where actually getting the walnut or the corn cob or whatever out of the flash hole really isn't that important. Um, shot it with it in the flash hole and shot it without it, you know, and couldn't tell a difference at all. And this was at distance. They'd done it at 600 yards, seeing if they could actually see a variant. You know, they took 10 cases with it, 10 without and shot it. Same load, same seating depth, everything. Um, they couldn't tell a difference. I don't know. You know, that's hearsay. I, I've heard it. I don't know. Test it yourself. See what you find. Okay. Um, next is is, uh, is a pretty big deal is the <clears throat> resizing 
and this is kind of step one of resizing, okay? Um, there's a few different ways. Um, our, our CBS uses a, like the, the lube pad, and you can put the, the lubrication on the pad and then run the brass across the top of it. Um, and that's fine if you're reloading like 20 pieces of brass, maybe even 50, that's fine. Um, I'm a batch guy, so I like to try to get as many pieces of brass with lube on them as possible. Um, so there's there's a couple different ones that I like. So you it had a is, joke for a vibrator, you, you know, you had nothing for lube. For lube? Now. No. Come on, man. <laughs> I wouldn't think. I, my mind went in the gutter on on lube, just vibrators. Dude, in every subject in a lot of this gun stuff, it's hard to keep your mind out of the gutter. To be honest with you, <laughs> it was late. Yeah. Uh, uh The there's the dillon spray so you can put all this brass in in a tray you spray the brass and you basically roll it around you know spray it again and a lot goes a long ways with the with the dillon spray as well um and then kind of roll it around make sure some gets in the necks and then you can let it set for just a little bit and then go to sizing okay um i'm a i use hornady one shot uh I can put it in my Sinclair loading block. I just get the plastic ones. Um, this allows me to put 50 cases in a block that holds them all upright straight. I know exactly where I'm at. And I go through and I spray uh, the, the necks and the bodies. And that allows me to, excuse me, uh, get the, the lube evenly dispersed across all of the the cases okay so what we'll do spray it let it set for about a minute and then you can put it in the die and go and go to sizing that you wipe any of that off not before okay okay uh the because you want it nice and moved <clears throat> up for when you start resizing correct everything. yeah so it, none, of, none of the metals are sticking together yes correct you can have too much lube if you're getting dense in the shoulder, you have entirely too much lube on the shoulder. It's a good um, reference. Right, or the necks, <laughs> things like that. You there, you can have too much lube. Another tip, guys, is clean your dyes. Okay, if you do not wipe out the dyes, that lube builds up over a period of time and can bite you in the ass, basically. Okay. I just booby-trapped the pen holder over here with that pen that exploded on me, so I'm hoping Jordan gets a hold of it tomorrow. Yeah, that'd be perfect for him. He won't even notice. <laughs> okay, there's another there's another theory or another uh, resizing lube out that I'm going to try. Six uh, Five Guys done a an article on it. It's on I think it's on their YouTube channel, and then it's on AccurateShooter.com as well. Uh, those guys, stand-up guys, I love them. Uh, they have really good informational videos. When I'm not listening to our podcast, I listen to their stuff yeah, as well. Yeah, 65 guys are awesome. Mm -hmm. They do a lot of uh, promotional stuff for the, the shooters too. So They do. They get like basically like sponsors and whatnot to donate to the cause and they have a just a here's information on this and mm -hmm. you know add your name to the to the list on the Facebook and share it and just go to their if you're not already following them jump over there and just just follow them they got super good information and, they got a ton of, of media and Frank too. does a lot of stuff with them too so yep 
what this is, it is a 10 to 1 mix of 99% alcohol and lanolin. So what they, what they do is they just mix it. So you have four ounces of alcohol and then you have basically four tenths of lanolin mixed together. You basically mix that all up and you can put it in a spray bottle and it does the same thing that Hornady One Shot's doing. Uh, it is a little thinner, so it's not tacky. And you've seen my brass when I don't clean it after uh, the the resize process and we go to load and stuff. Sometimes I don't clean my brass because I run out of time. This is thinner and it is not as tacky. So it is something that I'm going to try and, and implement into my my reloading regimen. So I'm pretty excited to try that, but Hornady One Shot works good. Uh, the Dylan stuff works good, and I think RCBS has some stuff. I hadn't really used it, but... Yeah, we've used <clears> a lot of the Hornady stuff, honestly. I, I use I use quite a bit, and a lot, you know, a little bit goes a long ways with, with One Shot, you know. It, yeah, it's <clears> not like you're trying to paint the brass. You're just, just spraying right. it. I just go across all the pieces. I hold the loading block up opposite of my reloading bench so i'm not getting lube on everything right. uh do it over a trash can or something but spray the ends obviously and then get the ones in the middle kind of put it at a 45 degree angle get down inside of the necks as well and that's when they're in the blocks they're in the blocks that way they're all standing up and you get a nice even spray over the top of all of the brass and and across it tools for for kind of step one there uh Loading blocks, that's huge. I, the Sinclair ones are great. If they get loaded up with with uh, lube, you can throw them in the dishwasher or wash them in the sink with hot water and Dawn. Those are the uh, plastic ones? Yeah, the, the white ones. Yeah, the white ones. Yeah. <clears throat> what I've found is they clean easy. The case doesn't stick down inside of the loading block very far. I have some aluminum ones. Um, I love them. They're, they're my favorite loading blocks. But they have bit me in the ass a couple times because they're the case sets so deep inside of the loading block. When I go to pick it up out of there and move sideways, it's not out of the loading block yet. And then it catches and I tilt the case over and it <laughs> spills powder all over. And I have to dump all the cases out and start all over again. So <laughs> it pisses me off. So I do like them though because they're, they're awesome. But – that is one of my pet peeves. There's drawbacks, you know. Yeah, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. That's right, Baker's dozen. <laughs> six and a half in one hand. <laughs> Split down the middle. Whatever it takes. Uh, let's see. And then obviously, whatever lube you choose, okay? That's step one of, of uh, sizing that brass, okay? Uh, the... So I'm kind of going through my notes. I got a lot of chicken scratch on all of this stuff here, yeah, guys. It looks so. like you wrote that with your left foot. <laughs> it was late. <laughs> That's my excuse. Let's see. I'm sorry, guys. Let's take a look here. So next is when you you check your you want to check your brass to the chamber. Okay, so. Obviously, we just talked about lubing the brass and everything. You want what I do is I'll take a piece of brass or several pieces of brass that have been fired in my gun, and I'll just use imperial sizing wax for ones and twosies. Okay, then size that 
that piece of brass, check it in your chamber. That that's huge. You know, not all dies are the same or have the same specs that your chamber was cut to. So obviously you want to read the book on how to set your die and everything. I'm not going to quite go through all of that because it'd take nine hours to do this, but, uh, the most important thing is make sure that your brass fits in your chamber and it is not tight. So when you're resizing, run your die down in increments, make sure that it is pushing that shoulder back and you're not pushing it back too far. Okay, you can get a bump gauge, something to measure that shoulder with so you can see how far you've pushed that shoulder back as well. How do you know it's fitting properly? So what you want to look for is put the case in the chamber, and I prefer to take the ejector out of your gun so you don't have any other influence. Take your firing pin out if yeah, you so can. Yeah, it come flying out. When, yeah. <laughs> right, and, and then when you're closing that, that piece of brass on your chamber it's not, angle. it's not coming at an angle you don't get that spring tension mm -hmm. you're getting the actual feel of that piece of brass in your chamber okay most likely it's just been fired in your gun it's going to close tight you're going to have tension from the top of your bolt close all the way to the bottom as you start to size that you'll you'll feel like okay well that just sized it one thousandth of an inch backwards now all of a sudden i only have very little tension like if you tap the bolt, you'll see it move, but it stops because there's just enough tension to keep it from falling all the way, okay? You can check that to another piece of brass or that same piece of brass off that bump gauge, see how far you pushed it to get that result, okay? At that point, you know you're extremely close to that fitting really good in your chamber. Move it back another thou or a thou and a half, kind of depending on, on the feel of that. That's going to help you set that, that brass up so you're not pushing that shoulder back too far. If you push that shoulder back too far, now your case is expanding further every time. And it's going to basically wear your brass more and it's going to wear that, that piece of brass out faster. Your longevity of that brass isn't going to last. Okay, You'll only get five reloadings instead of ten. Okay? You'll have case head separations and, and bad things happen. Okay, Make sure you push that shoulder back a very small amount, but in, you know enough to allow for that debris in your bolt manipulation to be good. I went over the bump gauge. Uh, bump gauge is great uh, tool to use, uh, so you can check everything. Bushings, uh, bushings for your these dies is big, so we can check. Um, we can seat our, I'm sorry, you can seat your bullet with enough neck tension. Okay, so when you resize, we're going to set neck tension to that brass before you ever do anything. So what you, the general formula out there on the internet is uh, for Redding dies or for Wilson, not dies, bushings, for a bushing die, okay, is your bullet diameter plus the the thickness of the neck times two minus three thousandths okay so i'll kind of run through that with you so if you have a 243 bullet you want to measure the thickness of the neck or the brass you want to neck measure the thickness of the neck okay so if it measures fifteen thousandths that would be thirty thousandths because it's your neck thickness times two. 
So that gives you uh, basically on both sides of the bullet. Okay, so 243 plus 30 thousandths is 273. Okay, minus 3 thousandths. That 3 thousandths gives us our neck tension. So when you buy a bushing for your resize die, you want to buy the 270. Okay, these are hypotheticals. Make sure you check your own brass. Okay, it could be yeah, 13 thousandths, could example. be 16, right. Okay. But that um, is the formula, basically. That is the that is the formula. You can look it up on Ellie Wilson's uh, website. They have it posted there as well. Um, it's all over Accurate Shooter or 6mmbr.com. Measure your bushings when you get them. That is another thing uh, that I, I like to really push. You're trusting somebody else to make something for you. Make sure that it's right. We all... I recommend that you guys have good calipers. Make sure that there is uh, quality there. So when you get that bushing, make sure that it's 270 thousandths. What if it was 269? Well, now we just have four thousandths of neck tension. What if it's the other way? What if it was 271? It was a little open. Maybe somebody stamped it wrong or engraved it wrong. Or right? maybe you just, in general, got the wrong stuff when they were shipping everything out. Right. So make sure you have the right thing. Uh, if you only have two thou of neck tension, sometimes it can, it's when you load that bullet out of the mag and you hit that feed ramp at, at Mach 9, you're, you're, <laughs> Cause you're, running that you're, shit. you're running it super fast. That bullet, it doesn't have enough neck tension to keep it straight in the, in the, in that piece of brass. Now you've just caused that bullet to be out of round. Okay. Which can cause precession. Okay. We'll kind of go through that. That's basically the bullet entering the rifling or that barrel crooked before it ever basically gets there. Almost any yaw. Yeah. It's like... Yeah. Basically, it's already starting off-center, yeah. right? We don't, want, we don't want that. That's bad. That's bad juju, okay? Sometimes you can, you can polish it or something. The, every once in a while, you'll see guys come in and the, there's scrapes on their brass... Like it's like it's sharp and it's it's scraping that brass and pushing it rearward. A couple things: one, your brass is that it should be soft, but make sure you like if you just annealed or something, make sure that it's not too soft. Um, then check that bushing, make sure that it has room to move around and it can and it can center up on what it needs to center up on, which is the neck. Okay. You want it to basically float in there and go over the neck the way that you want, the way that it was designed to. If you lock that bushing down, it could be off to one side because there's just clearance in there all the way around the bushing. It is not a press fit. So you want it to float and basically push it against a flat surface and then self-center on that neck. Uh, make sure that it is floating. Um, if it is scraping like that, check the bushing. Make sure that there's no no burrs or anything inside of it because it went through tin coating. Uh, some of us buy the, the tin coated carbide bushings. You want that to make sure that the tin coating is doesn't have burrs on the inside. You may be able to polish that out. Obviously, watch how much you polish it because it is another right. critical you surface. Take, you start taking material off of it. Right. Okay. So after sizing, okay, 
you can clean it. So if you still have lube left over, um, you can you can wash it. You can uh, there's there's a ton of different ways of cleaning brass, um, but you want to clean it. Okay, you want to get that lube off. I've I've shot it with the lube on a lot. I really hadn't seen that big of a an issue as far as accuracy goes. It's just that brass really picks up dirt. No, and I was just about to say, you're going to start picking up some debris mm -hmm. and introducing that into your chamber as right. well. And then my chamber gets filthy. Mm -hmm. It blows in. I mean, you wipe that chamber out after after shooting it 100 rounds with lube on the cases, and it's just it's sticky. Sticky. It's horrible. Okay. <clears throat> so next, you want to check uh, the size or the length of that brass because after you've sized it, and you say you pulled the expander mandrel through or, or you crush the body down. That brass has to go someplace. It doesn't stay the same size it grows. So you want to measure. When it grows, it gets thinner too. Correct. It gets thinner. All that stuff goes goes to, to someplace. It has to go somewhere. Uh, right. And then you start cutting it off. <clears throat> right. Yeah. So it gets longer. It goes basically out the neck. Okay. Path of least resistance. The the all reloading manuals have a case overall length or a uh, a trim to length. I'm sorry, trim length. The reason for that is is if the the brass is so long, every chamber is cut identical. There has to be room for the neck to go into the chamber. Then they have to make it so that the chamber is so much longer than the neck. That way, when you put the case in there, it's not binding on anything. Okay. <clears throat> this is where a carbon ring can can form, as well between the neck and the end of the actual chamber where the neck goes in. If you do not clean your gun, generally you get a carbon ring in that area. It is from the end of the neck to where the end of the chamber is. There's a 45 degree angle. Then your free bore starts. Okay, the carbon builds up right there, causes bad accuracy issues. If you haven't cleaned your gun in a while and you see bad, bad accuracy problems, clean that area. Okay, that's that's a very easy thing to do and check for. If that brass is too long, it runs into that forty-five degree angle at the end of the chamber, and it will crimp the the brass into the bullet. So it, it's a 45 degree angle. It pushes that brass inwards into the bullet, crimps it, automatically builds pressure. Just right? about to say, now, now we got pressure. <clears throat> we just spent all this time getting our neck tension right, and we didn't trim our brass, and it goes in and, and crimps the bullet, and we have way more pressure than we should. Okay, Make sure you trim your brass to the correct length. What goes with trimming your brass to length is obviously trimmers um, how do you guys cut your brass back you heard me talking about the old Sinclair the Ellie Wilson it uses a collet style so you buy the this collet that the bullet fits into and it has a stop on the back and a carbide cutter on the other side and you spin this little wheel and it basically pushes and cuts that brass back to a certain length that sounds terrible it was very time-consuming <laughs> I have one in my bench rest set up just to make sure that all of it works. I can I can trim cases right at the right. range. You're all, uh, what is that, electric free? Everything is just uh, yeah. right there. No, no power. Yeah. Yeah, no power. No power, no air. Man power. 
elbow grease. Okay. There are multiple ways of doing it. There's several case trimmers out there. Uh, like I kind of talked about the collet trimmers. Uh, they hold the head of the case and then it goes up to a certain point, cuts the front of that, that brass off. And um, at that point, you have basically a flat-ended case that needs to be chamfered and deburred. That's inside and outside, basically. Okay. The <clears throat> then you have kind of it's, it's called a datum line trimmer. So what that does is that once the shoulder hits a certain point, it can't cut any further. Okay. The uh, there's a couple different ones. I kind of kind of skip my mind on who uses that that style. Uh, I think it's uh, what was that? I can't remember now. But that's another another style of trimmer. Okay. This there's you guys can research this. My favorite is the the Gerard tool. It's the power power trimmer. Okay. It's very expensive. It's 460 bucks. It's probably four times almost all the other case trimmers out there. The thing about the Gerard is it cuts to length. So you want you want that case to be one inch, 500 thousandths long. It will cut it to one inch, 500 thousandths long. And it will outside chamfer and inside deeper. And it's, and it's like it's, a pencil sharpener, basically. It, it's a high-speed pencil sharpener for brass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it is one of my favorite tools that I use. When you first got that, you were way. super excited. And everybody was like, oh, what's that? What's that? Yeah. And then, is like going back, I never was really into the the, the hand crank one. I never even learned how to do that. Right. We just I, skipped that. Yeah, we just skipped that portion of my training in, in reloading. It right. went straight to the pencil sharpener. I was like, well, this is, this is kind of cool. And messing mm -hmm. with that, I never really under, you know, never had a chance to yeah. learn how how bad it was before yeah. that and, technology. And for the guys out there that are using other styles, you know, the RCBS or the Hornady or the Forster, uh, whatever you're using right now, I can tell you I have a bucket in front of me and one on each side of, of this main bucket. And the reason for that is, is because I can grab a piece of brass with my right hand and stick it in the Gerard and then I have a piece in my left hand, and as soon as the one in my right hand is done, I take it out and put it in the bucket on the right, and my left hand goes up and sticks the next piece of brass in the trimmer, and my right hand grabs a piece of brass out of the bucket. As soon as my left hand is done, it goes in the left bucket, and my right hand goes to the trimmer, and I stick the next piece in. So it's literally just an assembly line. As fast as I can move both hands back and forth and put those trimmed pieces of brass in the other buckets, it's that fast, basically. I don't. I don't know how many I could do a minute, but I bet it's. It's. I bet I could probably do twenty a minute. That's a lot. It's. It is fast. Like you just. It's. It's awesome. You gotta be I, hanging I, on to that <laughs> thing too. By the way, you can't just be limp wristing it. You, yeah, you, you need gotta, to get your monkey grip on. Yeah, you need to put a little man on it. <laughs> yeah. Because it's cutting that brass. It's cutting right? it. It's cutting it quick. Yep. Okay. That is my favorite case trimmer. Point blank, period. No questions asked. I don't think there's anything better. Okay. 
It is spendy. Again, like I said in the last episode. What's your time worth? What's your time worth? And I justify it by like, I got to do this another 30, 40 years. I'm going to have some good tools to help me do this. Okay. Your tools are just going to get better. They are, and I'll, I'll be I'll be buying all sorts of stuff. You know, that's it, that's a never ending never ending thing. But uh, seeding primers. This is another uh, big deal to me. There are multiple ways to do it. I know there's a lot of guys that use hand primers because they can get that feel of the primer going into the primer pocket and bottoming out saying that is perfect right i've done that for years it, just this year i upgraded so i've been reloading for quite a few years and just using hand just the hand primer and you've seen me i didn't even have a tray on it i just have the little rcbs flip tray Sitting yep. right next to me, I'll grab one primer out, stick it in, grab my piece of brass, stick it in the, the hand primer, seat it, turn the case, seat it again, stick that in the loading block. Which, which brand is that? That was K&M. It's K-N, the letter N, M. So Kilo November Mike. Mike. My man. <clears throat> I like that. That one feels more solid than the Hornady one. Because I went and got the Hornady one. It has mm -hmm. the tray that's connected to it, and you just kind of shuffle it around and drops it in there. You put the case in there, you know, lock and load kind of deal. Yep. And I think that the one that you had, that K&M, just feels more solid in my hand when I'm, you know, punch primers in. It's awesome for a single primer. It's what I use in bench rest because you can really feel that primer go in and mm -hmm. see, right? The guys that know me have come in and shake, shook my hand at the shop. They know, they know I got a monkey grip. They know I have a grip. I, I'm a fan of a firm handshake. That's all because of that hand seat. <laughs> that, that, that thing will give you a workout, man. You thought my right forearm was big? I jump onto that thing with my left hand so I just kind of even them out. Right. The uh, um, that's a, it's a good way to go. Again, if you're not you're not reloading a lot. It's fine. There are some, some really nice bench-mounted ones as well. RCBS and Forrester both make a nice bench-mounted uh, seater. Either one of those I'm, I'm sure is fine. You can still feel them. Okay, I've only used them a little bit. Uh, there's, there's Lee Auto Prime. Stay away from that thing. I broke mine in like 25 pieces of brass. I don't know what I was thinking. I was cheap one night and I was like I'll try that even if it breaks in like 3,000 pieces of brass it was totally worth it 25 pieces I broke it I was like trash can never again Did you get that Amazon. Amazon my man Mike told me he had to, that's the wave of the future <laughs> and taking it, over man and They're it is over it's, like it's the, pretty cool like Frank's uh, time traveling Chinese folks yeah <laughs> So the other one, uh, I said the K&M's, 21st Century makes a really nice hand primer as well uh, if you're kind of into the one-at-a-time uh, deal. RCBS makes a nice 100, 100 tray deal you kind of shake up and, and see. Sinclair does too. What I am using right now is kind of a cross between the – Forster or RCBS uh, 
like bench mounted primer and the 21st century. So this 21st century allows you to seat your primers to the correct depth every time. Okay, you can adjust how far that primer is pushed into the primer pocket, which requires a little math. Measure how deep your primer pocket primer pocket is. Measure how tall your primer is. You generally want your primer say ten thousandths under flush. We don't want the head of that primer sticking out. No, we, we have issues. You got some problems. Okay. And when you're hand priming. Don't look into the brass as you're hand priming. Yeah, please do. Please do not do that. Point the brass away from you. If it did go off, uh, you want that going away from your face. There's there's a pretty good pop in a primer. Uh, if you guys have never seen it, you can chamber a, a round in your gun that just has a primer in it and pull the trigger and see how big a pop comes out because it's it's surprising. Yeah, it's pretty it, loud. It, there, there's there's quite a bit of energy in a primer. So what I'm using right now, I just upgraded this year, is the, the Primal Rights CPS. Um, this allows me to adjust the primer depth, <clears throat> and I can I have a whole tube of 100 primers loaded, ready to go. So all I have to do is throw a lever, put the brass in, pull my handle, and it's already seated to depth that's done. The reason I like this, guys, and I like I like the bench-mounted ones too. I'm not saying you have to buy this because it is a little ridiculous on how expensive it is. Um, I'm still have a little buyer's remorse every time I use it. I'm like, <laughs> I better wear this thing out because <laughs> <clears throat> I'm still mad at myself. I'm sure. Well, I know exactly what it was. I was up late in the hospital one night and I just bought it. But uh, the consistency for me is very important. If you guys have hand primed 300 pieces of virgin Lapua brass in one setting, you know exactly the hand pain that I'm talking about. Because that shit gets tough by the end. Both thumbs are hurting, your hand hurts, and you're like, please just, just go easy. No, it's not going to. It's brand new. Yeah. Okay. CPS, I'm Get like, it in there. Blunk, done. Yeah, you got good I leverage. I don't, on I, it. Yeah, you got great leverage. I don't even know that it's tough. Right. Just makes me that much more consistent at the end of the night. I can go through and prime five hundred pieces of brass, and I like go. Cool. I'm, I'm not even tired. Let's let's go to the next step. You know, let's get these in loading blocks. Let's get everything ready to go. All you know, lubed up. All lubed up. Okay. Again, I think that the, the Forester and the RCBS will probably do everything that you want them to do. You got, you can also seat primers with the press. There's a way, almost, not all, but most all presses have a way that you can seat primers on it. That's not a bad way either. It's just harder to feel what you are doing. Again, I'm kind of a feel guy or a, a mechanical guy. If I can measure it, the pair of calibers uh, to the thousandth of an inch, I, I'm going to trust it, right? Tools for that. Uh, we kind of went through all the hand primers, CPS, all that good stuff. Uh, primer flip tray. If you do not have a flip tray, I highly recommend one just for the fact that you can dump federal horrible packaging. <laughs> Drives me crazy. It's massive. Good primers. You look at 1,000 CCI primers, you can fit 2,000 in a federal box that's, that is 1,000. Yeah. Right, the, 
They put them in sideways, and there's a ton of space. Every time you dump your primers out, they're all they're every different direction. <laughs> yeah. okay. On their side, upside down, right, right side up. Put them in your your flip tray. Run that back and forth until they're all flipped over to the one side. If you want to need to flip them over, whatever, put the lid on it, turn it over, and use it. Yeah, how, however you need it done. Okay. You need at least one of those. It's a funny little tool, man. It's, you can't. It's not that expensive, but no, it, it saves a lot of time. It 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 really does. Once you get everything primed, I, I like to set it all, everything up in a loading block or as as close as possible. Uh, loading blocks are, are almost invaluable. They're kind of expensive, but definitely want a few of them. You want to have one empty and basically one full okay you have all these primed they're sitting there ready to go now it is time we're going to put some powder in there okay powder funnels i'm going to start right there i don't think or is that big of a deal but if you don't have one it's extremely hard to load that powder <laughs> into right. that case yeah it's just not <laughs> right. happening right i i just uh two years ago I realized I didn't have a seven millimeter funnel or anything that worked with a seven mil because I had everything for short action right. stuff. Case specific. Right. I went to 28 Nosler and I'm like, oh, what am, what am I going to do for low development? So I just made my own powder funnel out of a piece of paper. It was pretty, pretty jerry rigged. I mean, I'm just going to say it was, it was horrible, but it, it got me through until I got my, my powder funnel. So make sure you have some funnels laying around for what you want. It doesn't have to be the biggest, baddest aluminum, this, that, the other thing. Dude, I still use the MTM little plastic one. Yeah. It's my favorite funnel. That it, thing works. It, it never gets any powder stuck to it or, or anything. It works. There's a big handle on it. It's easy to pick up and move. Um, I bought some aluminum ones. There's no no handles on them. It's horrible. Like now I have to grab it with all of my fingers and pick it up instead of just two. So there are several ways to to drop your powder nowadays. Um, we kind of talked about some scales and uh, uh, powder drops. Okay, you can buy the RCBS or the the Lee or uh, Forrester or whatever, they, they have kind of some like adjustable micrometer drop type deals. They're not really a micrometer, it's just like a, a screw you run in and tighten the lock nut down and hopefully it's close on some of them. <clears throat> um, the powder drops, you know, nowadays they're starting to get very affordable with a scale. So you can get, like we said in the last one, I used two RCBS Charge Masters for years um, running. I used one for, I think, two years, something like that. Um, I just take, took a, like a hose barb. It's a quarter-inch hose barb with uh, like three-eighths pipe thread on one end, and you put that in the end, and that allows the, the powder to fall out a little bit easier. Uh, it drops it slower so that the scale can basically keep up with the powder drop. That's one little modification you can do to RCBS and make it kind of function right. Um, the Harrells, they're, they're a micrometer drop. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty neat way. Uh, in all of our bench rest stuff, I have a micrometer drop. I have a Neil Jones micrometer drop. So 
guys that shoot bench rest a little bit kind of understand you open the the micrometer and allows a certain amount of powder to fall in and then you can basically run that that lever up and down it drops your charge in i, I shot a screamer group in denton texas with it it was 0.96 or 0.096 it was 96 thousandths in diameter five shot group just throwing it out of a micrometer drop powder charge Obviously, we had wind flags and like everything set up sure. in the world to, to do this. But Harold's <clears throat> uh, does it. Neil Jones has some. Sinclair has some. And there's the old Brunos. Micrometer drops are really good as well. If you're looking for just a scale, Sartorius makes really good like lab grade scales. So if you already have something you want, like you're using RCBS and you want to put something on there you can use a Sartorius um, to double check stuff or just lot check things like that every 10 or something uh, and if you wanted to do like a, a trickler you can get the little dandy it has just a vibrator on it there you go okay. <laughs> back to it back circled to, back around right, now right. we have to start well, I, woke, I woke Mike up he was like dazing and, uh, oh, this is so interesting. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, you it can, really you, is though. You, like, you can you can drop a kernel into the into the the pan if you need to be with with the that trickler. We talked a little bit about the Prometheus before. Prometheus again is four thousand dollars in a year or two. Wait, and you got to deal. And with, it's not yours. And it's not yours. It is awesome. I've seen them work. They're fast. They're great. I mean, they, they do work good. I'm not going to badmouth them that way. I mean, it, it, it is an amazing piece. It's the job done. I mean, it, if you've got, awesome. got $4,000 laying around and you want something that's going to work. And you want to put it someplace for a year. Right. Bam. Right. right. I would rather buy the Auto Trickler V2. It has the powder drop already built into it with the electronic trickler. Again, like I said, that FX120i measures your your charge weight 25 times a second it's very quick you can throw that you can spend two thousand dollars get two of those and be faster than a prometheus for half the money okay that's what i use i love the auto trickler uh i'm not sponsored by them or anything like that i paid full price for everything there there's uh, mike said this before we're we're not here to advertise for anybody as far as that goes we're not bought by anybody we this is the stuff that we use yeah did you guys notice that this is ad-free listing i <laughs> cannot stand commercials it drives me crazy that kind of covers all the, the the i guess the powder dropping and, and scales different different things to use obviously guys pay attention to what you're doing make sure that there's not much static in your system uh, you're rolling around upstairs with the kids and you're, you're playing and everything's fun. You step downstairs and you step up to your scale. Static electricity has a lot to do with the sensitivity of a scale. It yeah, can throw it out yourself. of whack. It's, it's best, man. Change your, change your shirt and, and you know, maybe wet your hair down or something. Like, try, to get, try to get some of that static off of you. Um, I've noticed it a lot more lately. i got more kids to play with. Uh, right um but <clears throat> it's huge you you do not want to have to recalibrate your scale every 10 minutes it's a pain 
So watch that. That's that's a huge thing. I set my my scale up on a, a granite slab as well. Just allows you to kind of keep that that scale level and then uh, some of the other vibrations in the table and on the floor and things out of it. I have rubber feet on the bottom of the granite trying to dampen anything, trying to keep that scale as isolated as possible. Um, I was trying to think of anything else that I do with the with the scale. I think that's about it on it. Uh, once you have powder in your case, there, there's a couple different theories here. You can either just keep like moving that that charged case to another loading block, and then kind of like candling all of your loads. So you make sure that you you shine a light in there and make sure that they all are loaded to the same height. Like all of my loads come up to the the shoulder body junction of my case, right? Most of the time we're measuring to the kernel. It's hard to tell if it's much different, but you will see a big difference. Or if something hung up in that case, something doesn't look right, pull that case, dump it out. Or you still if, have some pins from your. Yeah, you have some some say walnut media or, yeah, or you something some stuffed in, in there. Right, it, it looks weird. You know, or or you double charged it. Yeah, something. It it just allows you a, another double check, or um, you you dump the powder, and you immediately pull a case out of the the loading block, put the bullet in the top, and then set it in the next loading tray, or put it right in the press and seat it. Make sure that your press isn't attached to the same bench that your scale is on. Because it can, there's going to be a wobble. It, it just it just puts more influence into that scale. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, and then you have uh, basically a cup to you know sitting under the auto trickler or something like that. And then you run the handle on your on your loader. It's going to drop some kernels into your um, into your pan, and then you'll have then you'll have to dig them out. Right. So. Uh, that, that's big. You, you kind of you need to watch your process there. Make sure that you're you're doing it the same way every time. This is about consistency again. Next is seating seating the bullet. At this point, your seating die should be set up for your load. Um, if it's not, then we I'll, I'm going to go through with through with you guys on how to set up a seating die. <clears throat> if you don't have a, a Hornady case overall length tool you should probably get one I, I i love it you you screw the case onto this hornady tool you slide it in the in the chamber with whatever whatever bullet you want or you're going to use and try to find the lands with it so there's a rod attached to this tool you push the bullet out of the case into the rifling and when you feel it get tight tighten that rod down lock it inside of the tool pull everything out you take the bullet you set it inside of the case measure your your case and you can measure it to the ogive and get your overall length to the ogive so we're going to just use a simplistic number it's 2.7 inches from the head of the case to the ogive now we know that is right where our bullet is entering the lands so we want to be hey burger states 15 thousands off the lands right so we're going to be at 2.685 Two inches, six hundred eighty-five thousandths. These aren't real numbers, guys. Just make sure this is a hypothetical number. Okay, that is a good starting point. Okay, and then we can get into our load data, things like that. But you want to be able to find where that bullet meets the rifling, and and set it back from there. 
Okay, that, that allows us to, to be safe and be in a safe region. The, I have found generally the closer to the lands, the better that it shoots. It's, let, me, let me rephrase that. The more consistent or more consistency I get out of my reloads. I can have multiple different charge weights and still keep a good consistency because my bullet is really close to the rifling. I'm, I have reloaded and jumped the bullet a hundred thousands because I had to push the, the bullet so far inside of the case for it to fit in the mag. So you guys do want to check that and make sure that the, the bullet does fit in the mag. Yeah, and check those overall lengths and the inside length of your magazines because there are some, a lot of chassis mags out there have that plate where you can't get, you know, super long lengths of your, of your cartridges. Right. I'll just, I'll throw this out there just so we have it on, on record and you guys listen to this. An AICS mag, it has the stiffening plate in the front. <clears throat> Internal length is two inches nine hundred thousandths in internal dimensions. An AW mag is two inches nine hundred and eighty thousandths internal length. So you get an extra eighty thousandths because that stiffening plate isn't in there with the AW or AX mags. Okay, kind of a little hint there. I think that's uh, about <clears throat> as much as we can cover tonight, man. Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty pretty much it there. So. Yeah. And, again, if you guys got questions about this stuff, hit us up. Mike at Mile High Shooting, Adam at Mile High Shooting. Adam is a, a ninja at reloading. Obviously, he's shared some, some insight with you and kind of giving you tools that he's been using and stuff that hasn't been working for him over the years. And, again, it's, it's going to cost money to get there. And is there stuff that can hold you over? Yeah, there's stuff that can hold you over. How much is your time worth to you? And how much of, you know, a learning process? Are you a fast learner? Everybody's a fast learner. Everybody I've talked to, everybody I've ever interviewed is a fast learner. Everybody. Right? But some of us aren't. Right. And you have to kind of come to terms with that and figure out, is this for you or is it not for you? So that's that's kind of where I'm at with the whole reloading thing. I enjoy going over and hanging out with Adam and, and reloading with him and helping him out and, you know, developing a, a good load. And we'll talk about load to, actual load development in another podcast. But as far as the process goes and what you're looking at from start to finish, just getting the, the, the brass clean, prepped, ready to go, primed, dumping powder into it and, and the tools of the trade. I think we've gone a long way with that tonight. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yep. And and guys, again, like there, I know there's things that I did not cover in here. There's there's a reason for some of that. I didn't go over turning next or annealing or doing. You know, there's multiple. There, there's a whole other side of of the next stuff. You know. Yeah. Would you um, rather us jam it all into one hour or just kind of right relax and but, actually get the information? But some of that stuff is not needed. And and Mike has heard me say this a lot. Lead through the barrel is worth a lot. Okay, spend some money, spend some time on training and shooting. Uh, a lot of guys, sorry, Mike, I'm going to no, run you good. a little bit Keep long, going. but yep. we're wrapping up. A lot of guys know, or if you don't know, I shoot a lot of trap too. I've I was in a place where I wasn't shooting the way that I wanted, and I thought maybe if I buy this stock and put it on my shotgun, it's going to make me better. And I put the stock on the guy, let me try it took it out shot it 
guess what? I still done the same exact things I done with my old stock. So what I done is I took that $3,000 for that stock and I put it in shells and I practiced. I was better at the end. Yeah, that says a lot. I mean, like you said, if you go out and you shoot, but you're doing all the wrong things. We are, you hear Frank say it all the time. You, there's a lot of good, bad shooters out there. You make do with what you got, and you overcome a lot of these obstacles on your own. But the money that you spend putting into this stuff, if if you can't shoot it, you're not good at it. You need somebody to show you how to do it properly. That's where your money needs to go right now, I yeah. think. So. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, it's that was a very, very informative talk. I didn't fall asleep, so That's you plus. did something good, right? Right. So um, again, thanks for liking, sharing, and following us. We're up to fifteen hundred followers and over eighty thousand downloads. You guys are kicking ass. Uh, hopefully, the information that we gave that we're giving you is solid, and you can you, you can check it. You can critique us, man. No hard feelings. We have got broad shoulders. Please leave us some reviews on the Everyday Sniper Facebook page. Uh, just kind of get the word out and share this stuff and we appreciate you guys listening this is Mike from Mile High Shooting and Adam from Mile High Shooting and you're listening to The Everyday Sniper